All right, so um, we've been talking about uh, spiritual warfare, and we've talked about the idea that um, you know, this primarily takes place in the mind, right? It's the mind where, where Satan attacks primarily. It's the, the location where temptation comes at us. It's the location where, um, where, where confusion and worry and fear and all of that kind of begins in, in our minds. And it's our minds that God would, would seek to be Lord over, how we think. And uh, we want our minds to be in submission to his truth. And Satan, we've seen throughout this study, is the father of lies. He's a, he's a master manipulator, a master liar, a master twister of the truth. And so he comes at us through our minds, through thoughts, uh, attempting to do all of those things. Uh, anything to ultimately kill, steal, and destroy us. Ultimately, if he can't ultimately do those things, then at least to sideline us and get us out of the work of the kingdom so that we're ineffective for the Lord. So this is what the battle is all about. Of course, the Lord seeks to, um, to, to sanctify us, to, to grow us in our, in our knowledge and understanding, and also our godliness and our living and in our effectiveness for the kingdom's work. So you've got these two, these two, um, two forces, so to speak, at work. Now, we can't say this too many times. This is not two equal forces, right? Uh, we've read the Bible. We understand that in the end, God wins. And in the moment, even in this moment, he is sovereign and Satan is inferior. Uh, he is not an equal force. This is not yin and yang or, uh, you remember what that's called? When we talk, when we think in terms of Two equal forces, unsure of how it's going to turn out? Dualism. Yeah, we talked about that a few weeks ago. Um, so um, that's not what we're dealing with in the Bible. God is sovereign. As Luther said, Satan is God's devil. That is to say, he does only what he's allowed to do and what he's permitted to do and ultimately will be destroyed. He was defeated at the cross and will ultimately be destroyed. Uh, in the meantime, he has limited access to, to do what he does. And uh, we find ourselves in the midst of the battle. So uh, I thought it would be, uh, you know, one of the things that, um, that you deal with in this, this area of spiritual war, thinking of the mind and thinking of the battle that goes on, um, trying to discern God. When is God speaking and when is it the enemy speaking? And so that's what last week and this week are, are about, trying to provide some sort of a grid to analyze that. And last week we talked about what issue? Yeah, discouragement, encouragement. Um, God in general speaks in order to encourage. The enemy comes at us with the, with the purpose of discouragement. Okay, so as we're navigating and we're wrestling in our thoughts, you know, if, if, if discouragement um, is the effect, then we can pretty much know that this is likely not God speaking. It's as, it's as coming from the other side of the field, so to speak. So uh, we've got that that part. So tonight I want to talk about confusion, fear, and worry. Just 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 a quick flyby. And so I wanted you to begin thinking about these things um, as part of the spiritual battle. So that's what you've been talking about for the last few minutes. So uh, what about confusion? How does the enemy use that as one of his weapons in the war? And uh, have you experienced that? And uh, how do we counter that? What did you come up with on that? Anybody seen confusion as Part of the spiritual war that you've dealt with? Anyone? Yeah? How does this show up? Anybody want to talk about this? Or did you just ignore it and talked about dinner? And Okay, Ray. Okay. Okay. 
so confusion about truth kind of immobilizes us because if we don't understand it well ourselves, it's hard to explain it to somebody else if we're talking about matters of truth and doctrine, okay? What about like God's will, trying to sort out what God would have you to do in a particular situation in your life? you ever been confused about that and walked through and wrestled with confusion in that world? Anybody? Okay, you're just all saying yes, but you don't want to talk about it. I got that. All right. Um, all right, so enough to say that... Yeah, Audrey, I'm sorry. Okay, so... Sure. Okay, so false doctrine and all kinds of things that come from that world create confusion that undermines our faith in all sorts of ways, you know? Inevitably, every couple of years, a book comes out or a movie comes out, and it's all the rage in the culture. You know, Jesus had a wife, and it's now been discovered, and, you know, the Bible's all wrong about that. Or, um, you know, what was the uh, Dan, what's his name's books? Huh? Brown, yeah, you know. Um, there's some secret tablets have been found, and here's the real story that the Bible didn't give you. Um, you know, all these things pop out. You know, all oh, the, the books of the Bible were really, you know, they're, they're not, they're just authored by men from some secret society who got together in a smoky room one day in history and decided they were going to put these books in and take those books out. And, you know, you can't rely on that. Um, you know, everything I just mentioned is a real thing that's come out in the last decade that people have bought into wholeheartedly on the, on the cultural scene. And all of it's lies. But, see, here's the problem with a lie. It doesn't have to win the day. All a lie has to do is create enough confusion to confuse people, and the effect becomes the same, right? Um, so, um, so confusion is a huge issue in the spiritual battle, uh, whether it's you personally or whether it's you know, on the broader scope of culture. Um, confusion is a, is a big deal. It's a big way the enemy... Um, does battle. All right, what about fear? How does the enemy use fear as a spiritual weapon? Anybody experience fear? Okay, so in the category of sharing our faith, we have fear of how people might respond that intimidates us, causes us to just keep our mouth shut. Okay, that's one way fear comes into play. What's that? Okay, so okay, so fear roots back to an, an inward focus. I'm worried about what's going to happen to me more than I am about anything else. And yet that's what's driving me is fear of what's going to happen to me. Am I going to be harmed in some way? Is something that I need not going to come my way? I'm afraid of these things, and so it changes how I behave. Sure. What else? Did you guys talk about this? I gave you like 12 minutes. Nobody is. You're all quiet tonight. Okay. Um, we'll get to that some more. How about worry? I know that doesn't affect anyone in here at all. Nobody in here ever deals with worry. It is not part of your spiritual battle. You know, you're very certain about all things. You never are filled with anxieties or worries, right? I don't know why somebody's doing like this to their the person sitting next to them. I'm not going to name any names, Lee, but um, <laughs> how about worry? Ty, what would you come up with there? Yeah, <laughs> she's like, I worry. <laughs> sure, I like the honesty. Absolutely. So, what kind of things do we worry about? What kind of things? What kind of worries are we susceptible to? Worries about? Fill, fill in the sentence. Sometimes I worry about. Okay, your children and their eternal destiny, grandchildren, my job, my health, finances. So I heard something over here. Money or finances? Okay. Anything, okay? 
So, okay, so worry is, is part, of, part of the battle. Did I miss somebody else? Did I miss anybody else? Okay, you answered those questions. Okay, so, so here's, my, here's, here's what I want you to... Here's what I wanted you to grasp. I don't know if it worked in that little exercise. I wanted you to, to relate all three of these issues to spiritual warfare, to the, to, the, to, the, to the reality that just like discouragement, these things don't come from God. When, when, they, when they're taking root in us and we're sensing that we're worried, afraid, confused, discouraged, God is not the author of such things. Um, so when those things are coming at us, they're coming, we can, we can have a pretty good assurance that they're coming from where? From the, uh, from the enemy, and this is part of the battle. If he can get us wrapped up in our worries, our fears, or confusion, um, then that essentially sidelines us in the battle uh, and keeps us from making any progress, really. So that's, that's what we were that's trying to get to with that. Who knows if that worked or not. Um, but let's talk about confusion for just a little bit. I mean, confusion can be a, a problem on the individual level, or it can be a, a problem on a corporate sort of a level, right? Um, in Acts chapter 19, we studied Acts not too long ago. I know you remember every sermon from that Acts series. Um, but uh, there was a riot that took place in Ephesus when, when Paul was ministering there. And uh, it was a riot. Does anybody remember what was going on in Ephesus? You would really get a like, serious gold cookie award for that if you remembered. Um, well, it was. It was, and they were coming after the Christians. So the idol, you know, the Christians were sharing the gospel, and people were coming to faith. They're coming out of their paganism. So when they came to faith in Christ, they quit buying the idols from the idol makers, and so they were losing their business. And so, uh, you know, they stirred up trouble, and a riot breaks out. And in Acts 19, we're somewhere in that vicinity of that uh, story. And uh, when they heard this, they were enraged, and they were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians, and the city was filled with... Confusion, And they rushed together into the theater, dragging with him Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples wouldn't let him. And even some of the uh, Asiarchs who were friends of his sent to him and were urging him not to go into the theater. Well, now, why were they doing that? They didn't want Paul to get, you know, hauled off either. So now some cried out one thing and some another for the assembly was in what state? Confusion. And most of them, what? Didn't even know what they had come together for. So you've got this mob in the city that's dragging these Christians out to the theater, and it picks up all this momentum, and all these people are, you know, crowding into the theater, and the mob chanting, and there's mass confusion, and half the people there, they don't even know why they're there. They've just gotten swept up in all the confusion. That's right. And so uh, it's just a little simple exercise where a city is wrapped in confusion. But who's the author of that? Is this, is this the work of God in the lives of the believers there? No, this is, this is confusion that's being stirred up ultimately by whom? By the enemy who wants to stop the work of the believers in Ephesus. And he uses confusion to, to rile up a mob um, to, to come and, and in, in this case, uh, ultimately come with violence against uh, these, these believers who are doing absolutely nothing uh, but good for the city. And that's, how, that's what confusion does. It confuses people. It gets them mixed up in their thinking. They don't know which end is up or what's right or wrong or what they're doing or where they're going. And the net result of that is rarely ever a positive thing, whether it be an individual or a church or uh, a city. 
you know, maybe you've seen this happen in churches or in denominations before where confusion sets in. The enemy uses confusion to, uh, to create all sorts of trouble. Can you think of any churches or denominations that have wrestled with confusion over different things? It's caused all sorts of trouble for them? What's that? Ask the Episcopal Church uh, over the last decade. Um, mass confusion within that denomination. And it's, it's literally destroyed nearly that, that denomination. It has ripped a huge chunk off and what's left is shrinking and uh, all over doctrinal confusion. Um, is God the author of that kind of thing? No, he's not. That comes from the enemy who's seeking to do what he always seeks to do. Kill, steal, destroy. In this case, destroy a denomination. Very effective. Very, very effective. Um, so you see how this works out. God, uh, the enemy uses confusion, and God is the one who speaks with clarity. When God speaks, he doesn't leave issues unclear. He speaks with clarity, and he brings clarity in the midst of confusion. Um, and so uh, in, in order to find some sort of clarity in the midst of confusion, we need some sort of guiding principles. And the authors of the uh, curriculum that we've kind of used as our skeletal structure for this series, or at least parts of it, um, they offer some, some simple guiding principles that, uh, that they recommend as being helpful for us to kind of work through things that are confusing for us. And they kind of give you some, some check marks to look at. Um, and you can just put the whole, the whole outline up there, Josh, it'll be fine. Um, uh, these, 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 uh, <laughs> fatigue is not one of them. I messed up my outline. Skip that. That was in last week's outline. Just ignore that. You don't see it. It's not there. Um, there's only four things on that, not five. Um, um, love for God does belong on there, though. Um, so when I'm confused about God's will in a matter, so, let, you know, kind of, if you want to look at it as a grid, grid question number one, um, whatever I'm confused about, okay, I've got to get choice A, choice B, does one or the other help promote my love for God better than the next, okay? Maybe that'll give me some clarity in my confusion. Will my relationship with God be, be stronger after I make this decision? Will, will this decision help advance that? Um, you know, the Bible tells us, you know, Jesus said, when asked about what are the most important things, what did he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then... Love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, so biblical, two biblical questions. When I'm, when I'm confused about a decision, uh, you know, what, 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 what solution uh, helps, helps advance my love for God and my relationship with Him? What, what solution helps me um, uh, best advance love for my neighbor? Does, does, you know, if I've got a couple of choices, I'm confused. Um, how does this principle of loving my neighbor play into this? Um, does, does, does one decision or the next uh, kind of move me in that? Uh, thirdly, advancing the kingdom, how will this decision impact my, my, uh, my ability or my desire to, to uh, make an impact for the kingdom of God? That's a good question to ask when I'm trying to make decisions, when I'm confused about things. I've got A, B, C. You know, which one of these helps me advance kingdom interests? I know that God's called me to do that, right? He's called me to love him. He's called me to love my neighbor. He's called me to be involved in advancing his kingdom. And look, the magic happened. Fatigue disappeared. Um, and then, then what's most in line with, with God's character as far as promoting holiness in my life? See, these are questions that kind of cut through some of the confusion. And they're all rooted in truths that God has laid out very clearly for us. How do I, you know, I've got a decision to make. How, how, which, which, which direction helps me love God better? Helps me love my neighbor better? 
helps me advance the kingdom, promotes holiness, and is most in line with God's character. Simple questions that in a simple little grid that we can just run through from time to time when we're trying to make decisions. And it's amazing how something that simple can cut through a lot of confusion and point us pretty clearly in a, in a particular direction. So it's a, it's a, a handy little grid. Um, and so uh, confusion is an issue. And this is at least a part of the solution, is to have some sort of a grid with some guiding principles rooted in Scripture. And, of course, you can only do that when you, when you come to grips with, with God's Word. I mean, somebody who has neglected the Word of God and the, the consistent study of the Word of God should not be at all surprised when they're regularly finding themselves confused, right? Because it's God's truth that cuts through the confusion. If you ignore the truth, then you're susceptible to all the, all the what? The opposite of truth is lies. You're susceptible to all the lies. And you're, and you're wide open um, to the enemy's work of confusion in your life. Um, and so the role of the Word of God in, in our battle against confusion, uh, you can't underestimate it. One of the reasons why it's important to study God's Word is so that we can fill our minds with His truth, so that when the enemy comes along and seeks to sow seeds of confusion in us, we can, we can see through that. Um, can you think of any biblical illustrations of where we have examples of him doing that? Genesis. Eve. Okay, we've used Eve as a few times here, right? Do you remember the story? Thank you, Steve. Um, that's why he's an elder. He knew that answer. Um, that, that's the only... He, just, he knew that answer. No, I'm just kidding. Just teasing. Um, Genesis. Eve. What happens here? God says something very simple. Eve. Adam. I put you in the garden. You shall not do one thing. What is that? Okay. That's right. Don't eat from that tree. Everything else is fair game. If you do, you will, you will surely die. And what does the enemy come along to do? Satan, in the form of a serpent, comes along and says, how does he start to so confuse Eve? Well, the first thing, did God really say, you shall not eat of the tree or touch it and you will surely die? Subtle, subtle confusion, right? Subtle confusion on a couple of fronts. Number one, he questions, what did God really say? Okay, did he really say this? And he repeats part of what God actually said. But then what else does he do? He adds to it, right? Did God say anything about touching the tree? He only said something about eating it. But you see here, so there's enough truth mixed in with some untruth that if you weren't clear about the truth, you quickly become what? Confused, confused about the truth. And that's what happens to Eve, right? And Eve tries to answer it. No, that's not exactly what it, you know. He says, you just don't eat of this tree. Satan also said all the trees in the garden. And Eve caught that part of it. She caught that part of the lie. No, no, no. God didn't say we could eat from any tree. He just said we couldn't eat from this tree or touch it or we'll surely die. But see, the confusion's already begun to set in. See? She caught him on one front but didn't catch him on the other. And the next thing you know, what's happening? They're eating the apple. They're eating the apple. I just want you to see that confusion played a role in that. Satan comes along and he questions, what did God really say? Did he really say this or did he not say that? Or did God, or, or adds to what God actually said. And before you know it, boom, confusion sets in. 
That's why it's so important to know and understand and study God's Word so that you can do the exact opposite of that, which is what Jesus did when Satan came along and tried to twist God's Word in his mind. And and Jesus always responded with an accurate representation of exactly what God said as a counter to the attempt at confusion. It's a good parallel. If you have some time, we won't do it tonight, but look at those texts. The Temptation of Eve and the temptation of Jesus. And look at how they responded. And look at how confusion sets in on one front, and there's no confusion on the other. And where confusion sets in, sin followed pretty quickly. Where there's no confusion, righteousness was the result. And an enemy who flees. All right, so there you have that. Um, so, so Satan is always trying to sow confusion as part of the battle. Part of the battle. Um, but God is, is all about clarity, and he's all about truth. And he's all about being clear and cutting through the confusion. Um, so what about fear and worry? Let's talk about those for just a moment. Um, fear, I mean, is that a common human experience, do you, would you think? Yeah, I mean, all kinds of things cause us. What, what, what are you afraid of? What things spark fear in you? Yeah. I was going, who said that? Oh, Lee, you're a man after my own heart. I hate spiders. You will see me dance like a little girl when a spider comes in my house somewhere. I can't stand them. I can't stand spiders. But that's another side. Okay, global warming. That, that's huge right now. There are people who are absolutely terrified that the, that the earth is warming. And if we, don't, if, we, if we don't get all worked up and do drastic things and go you know, uh, live in a toga under a tree in a tent, um, the world is going to literally heat itself to where human life is destroyed. And I mean, that's a bit of an exaggeration, but there are people who take it that far, who literally are terrified that the world is going to be destroyed because of global warming. That we're all in imminent danger. It's a legitimate thing that people are terrified of, in fact. Now, many are using that just as a, a means of manipulation for financial gain and other things, but there are people who are genuinely afraid of that. That's because he's so busy heating up the world. Um, so what else? What other things generate fear? Death. The fear of death. People are terrified of death. Absolutely. The yeah. fear of public speaking. I know that one really well. Fear of needles. Yeah, I have that one too. Come to think of it, I'm awfully phobic here, aren't I? Um, yeah. Or so, yeah. Sure. Okay, afraid of the direction of our country and what's, what looks like is coming down the road, the speed of change that's taking place that doesn't look like in a positive direction, and what's that going to bring about? I heard someone say the fear of failure back there. That's huge. That's a huge fear that people deal with. Yeah. Fear, fear, fear. I mean, we don't like to admit it, but we do, we do, um, we do deal with fear an awful lot. And yet God is constantly in his word commanding us to not be what? To not be afraid. I mean, just a quick little glimpse at Matthew's gospel, and you can see several examples in there where he's talking to people about not being afraid. Joseph, you remember the beginning, the the Christmas narrative? Mary, Joseph, you know, pregnancy out of wedlock, really bad cult fear, genuine fears of what the society was going to think and respond to that. Joseph had a lot... Circumstances had given that man plenty of reasons, legitimate reasons to be afraid. And yet, what does God say to him? He says, Joseph, what? Don't fear. 
Don't be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. I understand that life and circumstances have given you some really good reasons to be filled with fear. But God is saying to him, Joseph, I'm giving you better reasons to not be afraid. I have better reasons. I have better reasons for you to not be afraid. In Matthew chapter 8, a little further on, uh, the Sea of Galilee, the disciples are on the boat. The storm is raging. They're fishermen. They've understood what this meant. They've been fighting for a long time. Legitimate reason for fear, right? I mean, the waves are crashing. They understand that their lives are in peril. And once again, fishermen on the sea, disciples, circumstances, life has given you some really good, legitimate reasons for you to be filled with fear at this moment. A reasonable person would even be afraid of this. And yet here comes Jesus saying, look, I've got better reasons for you to what? To not be afraid, to, to not fear. And then he turned around and he showed him what those reasons were. He said, peace be still. And he rebuked the waves and it stopped. It stopped. That the storm gave them good reasons to be afraid, but Jesus had better reasons for them not to be afraid. And who was, which one was right in the end? They didn't have to be afraid, did they? They didn't have to. Matthew 10, don't fear those who kill the body and cannot kill the soul. Jesus speaking here. Rather fear him who can destroy both the soul and the body. Now, just a reminder, what's, what's he trying to communicate in just layman's terms? You don't have to be afraid of people. Why? Any people. Because the worst thing a human being can do to you is what? Kill your body. Right? I mean, that's it. That's the worst thing he can do to you. For a Christian, that's not the worst thing that could happen to you. You kill your body. You go to be apart from the body present with the Lord instantly forever it's the worst that any human being could ever do to you he says that there's something else that genuinely could be afraid of a fear of God and he goes on to explain that a little differently Matthew chapter 14 verse 27 Um, this is uh, Jesus speaking to a group and he's saying to them look take heart it's me don't be afraid don't be afraid and you could go through that I mean Matthew chapter 17 Matthew chapter 24 I mean time and time again don't be afraid fear not don't be troubled life has given you lots of reasons to generate fear in you and the enemy is comes along and he uses your circumstances and he uses the things that are happening around you and he uses people around you and circumstances and all this to generate in you fear and, and, and a lot of that is legitimate there are legitimate reasons that you could be afraid but Jesus is all the time coming behind saying but listen I've got better reasons for you to not be afraid. I give better reasons for you to not give in to fear. To not give in to fear. 2 Timothy 1.7 God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound what? A sound mind. A sound mind. Why is it that we don't have to give in to fear? What are these better reasons that I keep mentioning that God offers us for not being afraid? Say it, say it out loud. He's given us promises that he's, never, that he's never failed on. The things that generate fear in us. God has promised us to care for us in those particular areas, in every one of them, really. What are some of the promises that we have that, that help us battle against fear? I'll never leave you and never forsake you. That would have been helpful in the Sea of Galilee when your ship's about to go down, right? You know, this would, you know, bail in water. He'll never leave me. He'll never forsake me. You know, you're going to be telling yourself that the whole time, right? The storm is going to kill me, but but Christ won't leave me. You know, and 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 which one, whichever one I believe the most, is going to determine whether I give in to fear or I don't, right? 
That's the answer is yes. That is right. Um, so that's it. What are, what are the things? Can never be separated from the love of God. Yep. Okay. Can never be separated. So if I'm arrested in a foreign country for my faith and thrown into a prison somewhere, I can say to myself, and it be true, I have lots of reasons to be afraid in this place. However, I know that God's given me a better reason not to. He's told me that He will what? He'll never leave me and He'll never forsake me. So even in this prison, I'm not alone and I'm not unprotected, right? Yes, you may, please. So one of the greatest fears we mentioned this a little while ago that people have is the fear of death. What's going to happen when I die? And he's promised us, even in that moment, particularly maybe even in that moment, will not be alone. And there's a testimony. God gave you a glimpse into the reality of that in his life. How about that? Hey, life gives us lots of reasons to genuinely be afraid of death. God gives us better reasons to not fear it. It's a great example. Great example. All right, we could go on with that, but let me just switch over to worry for just a second. You know, worry is actually just a kind of a, is a, a form of fear, right? Because worry is, how is worry related to fear? Okay, yeah, I'm worried about things because I'm afraid of what's going to happen, okay? It's because of this fear, it generates worry. I'm afraid of what's going to happen in the future. Something could come that I that I can't control that i don't know what's going to happen i'm and so so because i'm afraid of that right now i'm worried right isn't that how it works fear and worry are kind of related to one another um it's we're afraid of negative consequences and you know jesus deals with worry throughout the text of the new testament all throughout and because our time is up we don't have time to deal with that too much but um Think about how how does how does the enemy use worry in your life? How does he use worry about the future? He steals joy of the day, sure. Steals your peace, yeah. All right, definitely takes your eyes off of God and His promises into your circumstances. And there are always circumstances that are in the future that are what ifs, perhaps, maybes. And one thing I know about the future, and you know this too when we think rationally about it, is about the future. We can't control anything, right? Number one, we can't control the future, and we imagine things that may or may not ever happen. Most of the things that we actually worry about end up never happening. You know, if, Do that little exercise in your life the next time you start dealing with worry. Track it. You know, Track it over time and ask yourself at the end of it, did what I was worried about all this time, that I expended this energy worrying about, did it actually come to pass or did it not? Most of the things we worry about don't come to pass. And worry is really a, a pretty serious uh, issue when it comes to, um, to our relationship with God because God has promised us some things. He's promised to always provide for our needs. He's promised to always care for us. You know, he, he this long discourse Jesus did about the birds of the air. Do you remember that? The flowers of the field. Do you remember that? Jesus, his sermon on the mount. You know, look at the birds of the air. I take care of them. Look at the flowers of the field. They're beautiful. I take care of them. If I care about birds and flowers, don't you think I care even more for you? And I will, if I provided for them, won't I care for you? Won't I provide for you? What are you worried about? Don't be worried about the things that the world worries about. Don't worry about all the things that pagans worry about. I will care for you. He's made that promise. And he's made that from the lips of God incarnate himself. 
Think about how insulted God must be when we worry. Think about that. Have you ever thought of that angle? How much of an insult that is to God who's made that kind of a promise to us when we live in worry. Isn't that... I've told you that I'm going to care for you. I care for birds and flowers. I've promised I'll care for you. What are you worried about? You're saying you don't believe me. You're saying you don't believe I'm good to my promise. Parents, imagine your kids, um, if they've grown up a little bit. Imagine them uh, going one day uh, to school and, and talking to their friends and saying, you know, I'm not sure. I wonder if my parents are going to feed me tonight. I don't know if they are. I mean, they fed me last night, but I'm not sure if they're going to feed me tonight. How about that? I mean, I had clothes for today, but I don't know if they're going to give me clothes tomorrow. I mean, I might have to come to school naked, you know. Um, I mean, maybe they'll change their mind. Maybe they won't take care of me. If you got that report home from the teacher at school, here's what little Billy was saying at school today. How would you feel about that? You'd feel insulted, wouldn't you? Because, because, not just because uh, of what it is, but because it's 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 an it's an insult to your character. It's an insult to your heart towards them, right? That's my child. Of course, I'm going to feed him. Of course, I'm going to give them clothes. Why? Because he's my child. I love them. I'm going to care for him. The fact that he would question or doubt whether I would actually do that for him would be painful. Imagine how God must feel when we worry. It's the same thing. He's made those promises, and he's always made good. And yet we, we doubt that, and we question that. And it's, it's, an, it's an attack to a degree on his heart and his character towards us. That's an insult, really, against him uh, for us to, to live in worry and to be afraid like that. That's why Paul writes, don't be anxious about anything. You can trust God. Uh, our time is up. But uh, these three areas, confusion... Uh, Josh, could you just go back to that in the first outline um, in, um, on there? Sorry, not the group questions, but the first uh, outline. Encouragement, discouragement, just those four. Yeah, there you go. Um, or the three, yeah. I just want you to see this. As, we're, as you're moving forward and dealing with this issue of uh, discerning who's speaking, who's influencing my thoughts, is this coming from the Lord, is it coming from the enemy? Um, this is a good little grid, I think, just to help, you know. Is what's going on in my head promoting clarity or confusion? That's going to help me know who's speaking to me and who's influencing me or where it's coming from. Is it promoting peace or is it promoting fear and worry? It tells me the source, right? Encouragement, discouragement. All right, so we've pretty much exhausted the subject. I want to leave you with a John Newton hymn. How about that, Pastor Frank? Is that a good way to leave this thing with a John Newton hymn? Um, so at the at the very end, Josh, is the John Newton hymn. Uh, I don't know the name of the hymn, but here's the lyrics to it. And it's a great way to wrap up this spiritual warfare. I would sing it for you, but that would kill the blessing of the lyrics. So, though many foes beset you round and feeble is your arm, your life is hid with Christ in God beyond what? The realm of harm. Weak as you are, you shall not fade, or fainting shall not die. Why? Because Jesus, the strength of every saint, he'll aid you from on high. Though unperceived by mortal sense, faith sees him always near. A guide, a glory, a defense. That's good in a war, isn't it, to have a defense? What have you to fear? As surely as he overcame and triumphed once for you, so surely you that love his name shall in him, what? 
triumph too. You win. You win. You win. Thanks, John Newton. More than that, thank Jesus, right? For winning the battle for us. Let's pray. Well, God, we've come a long ways in, in, in uh, these months that we've been looking into this issue of uh, warfare. You've helped us to cut through uh, a lot of the cultural clutter. You've helped us to cut, a lot, cut through a lot of the mystical nonsense that surrounds this issue. And you've helped us to see clearly that this isn't really that complicated. You are a God of all truth. And we have an enemy who's the father of lies. And in the middle of that stands us. We are the battlefield. And the battle rages in our hearts, in our minds, in our thoughts. And you've called us, Lord, to, to put on the armor that you have equipped us with, our salvation and peace. You've given us the sword of the Spirit, your word. And you've given us everything we need to be able to stand in the battle. And to stand firm. And yet, Lord, the enemy is real. And he comes at us. As Paul used the illustration of shooting at us flaming arrows. Arrows of temptation. Arrows of fear and confusion and worry. And all of these things that come at us. And Lord, we need to be careful every single day to wake up ready for the battle. To not sleepwalk through our lives. Not to walk on the battlefield unarmed. But to, to be ready every day. To hide your word in our hearts so that we might not sin against you. To hide your word in our hearts. To lock arms with other believers and be an encouragement in the battle. That we might prop one another up when the battle gets hard and particularly strong and so Lord we, we thank you for uh, helping us see these things and even now for helping us to implement them in our lives this awareness of what's going on around us is key so keep us mindful in the battle keep us uh, suited up in our armor uh, keep us always examining our thoughts Lord to make sure that we're listening to you and not being confused by an enemy who would seek to destroy us. Lord, we pray for peace in the battle, even here in our congregation and other churches around our city. And may we go tonight in peace, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.